pastor the Calvary Chapel in Crimeville. Um, I've been in Crip County for 10 years this last June. I was uh, originally from Klamath Falls, Oregon, and I grew up on a cattle ranch by Bonanza um, in South Po Valley. And it was a big family ranch. And uh, when I was about the third grade, my dad decided to leave the ranch and to go become a veterinarian. And so uh, we ended up moving probably about 13 times from that point on until I graduated high school. Uh, for his schooling, uh, he went to Oregon State University, but he used to have to go to Washington State for small animal medicine. Uh, and then he ended up in Lakeview as a, as a veterinarian and had his own practice there. So I graduated from Lakeview High School, originally from Klamath, but spent time in Corvallis and Pullman. And in the midst of that time, he also uh, contracted Hodgkin's disease. And we went through a long period in my childhood of him having basically terminal cancer. Um, cancer that uh, he had had a bone marrow transplant in Stanford for. And uh, he had reoccurrences of that cancer. Uh, when he was accepted into vet school without uh, an interview because they knew he was such a good cowboy and he worked so hard to get into vet school, they just let him into veterinary school. And, uh, and yet... In that stage of vet school, he was told that the cancer had overtaken his body and that he was going to die, and so go ahead and go home and prepare your affairs for death. And uh, and yet, that's not what the Lord had told us, and we ended up going to a church in Pullman, Washington, and he got prayer, and he was healed that day. The cancer was gone, and so from, you know, from my young age as a middle school child, uh, I've seen God do amazing, healing, miraculous works. And that was just all part of God stirring in my heart to follow after him. You know, a God that can touch and heal and work. It was a little long. What else could I do with my Sunday? But it was in about my freshman year of high school time that I decided to follow Jesus. And he got a hold of my life. And I started a Bible study in my high school. We saw a revival of hundreds of high school kids in my high school come to Jesus in that time. And I'm, part of my testimony is seeing youth come to Jesus and want to read the Bible and want to spend time in prayer and want to spend time worshiping. And so as we see all these little ones around, I've seen young ones have a relationship with Jesus in a deep, deep way. And so um, that's just part of who God has made me and part of our church is loving on the youth and reaching out to the youth as well as the old. Um, I became a high school pastor for high school age kids when I was about 19, 20 years old, and I married Lindsay at that time, and for eight years I was a high school pastor. During that time, I taught through the entire New Testament verse by verse, as well as some Old Testament um, books as well. It was kind of a Bible college for me. I did one year of Bible college, but really being in ministry was the school of hard knocks, and I learned so much during that time. And uh, I also was part of putting on Oregon statewide camps for those youth where hundreds of kids would come out and get to hear the gospel during a week over at Bandon on the Oregon coast. Uh, after about nine years of doing that as a youth pastor, um, I started to feel like a senior in high school does when they're ready to move out of the house and, and go off to adventure. And I felt like the Lord was saying, okay, it's time to go and share the gospel with adults and pastor at church. Uh, the same time as I felt that, my pastor said, Rory, it's time for you to go on out and give me a little kick like a mother eagle kicks his hens or his, her hens. I guess the mother is a mother. <laughs> <laughs> Are we all cool with that? Okay. Uh, and, uh, and 
just the Lord said, okay, it's time to go. And we originally felt that the Lord was calling us to Casper, Wyoming. And the reason for that is since I was a child, I've just had a heart for ministering the gospel to ranchers and farmers. In fact, when I was a kid, I used to stand out by the fuel tanks on our ranch and share Jesus with our hired help as they would come by. And, uh, you know, there was a prophecy over my life at that age that I would be a singing, preaching cowboy. And uh, I don't know if, how well that's turned out. The cowboy's a little rusty, as many guys here can attest. But um, just funny how the Lord puts those dreams in your heart and then opens the doors for you to go follow them. Um, and so we were on our way to Casper, Wyoming. We were a month away from moving there. Kind of a step of faith. I'd never even been to Wyoming, but wanted to reach that um, those cowboys out there and those oil guys. Um, and a month before we moved, I got a call. What I, was I interested in moving to Prineville and pastoring uh, the church in Prineville? And after kind of a lengthy interview process, the Lord moved us here, and that was 10 years ago. And it's just interesting over the course of that time that God burned in my heart and the heart of our church to begin reaching, uh, as the book of Acts says, our local city, which would be Jerusalem in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He gives us the power of the Holy Spirit to be bold, courageous preachers of the gospel in Primeville, in our case, uh, but also regionally. And just over time, the Lord has opened up a door to um, be going to Lapine and to be going to the surrounding regions and sharing the gospel with those uh regional churches. Uh, two years ago, we were given uh, the Calvary Chapel in John Day, which also had a <coughs> ministry in Seneca. Uh, my friend Josh Bryant is the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Burns, and we've known each other forever. You know, he's one of my best buds. Some of you know him. And we both took on the ministries in John Day. The pastor there had lost his home in a fire, the fire in John Day. It was a biscuit fire. Do you remember that correctly? Or am I dreaming of it? Nope. Nope. I'm just hungry. That's or the cookie, but you know. And uh, and he'd also lost a grandson, and he just had to back out and go be with his family. So for a number of months, we would travel through uh, Polina to Seneca and do an afternoon service there. And we would always pray for you guys when we would drive through here. We knew Travis. We knew the ministry that was happening here. And we would go to Seneca, and many people from our church would join us, like today. And then we would go up to John Day from Seneca and do an evening service there and then head home uh, that way, get home about 10 o'clock at night. Is, uh, it was a day well spent. And about that time, I met Travis and I asked Travis, hey, what's going on in Polina and, and what is your vision there? And he shared uh, what they had been doing with in-faith ministries. And, and I said, you know, well, maybe we could do it every other week or something like that. And uh, he was really excited at that time of, of joining up with us. And then, you know how life gets busy and circumstances in life? It ended up the Lord just shelved that dream for about a year and a half until recently. It was actually the Papanaz called me one night and said, we just feel burdened that God wants to do something in Polina. And during this period that they've been feeling that, um, I've been coming out regularly and working with the testies out on their place and out at the shotgun ranch and been praying heavily for this county, this area, Polina. And uh, and so when Joe and Courtney called me and said, let's revisit what God might want to do with us in Polina, uh, it was time to call Travis again. And so I called Travis and said, hey, let's talk about this again. Would you be interested? And let's just pray about maybe the Lord would have his partner in some way. Um, what, what would God have? And so as we both prayed, it was just interesting how the Lord just put the same thing 
on our hearts. Um, that God has given us a, a vision as a church in Prineville that is really a New Testament church body life that we see in the New Testament. And we really have vision to see that happening here in Polina. And, um, and he, Travis knew that. And he knows that just the vision that God had given in faith is it's wonderful. And it was, it was bringing the church here up to this point. And, and now the Lord has stirred in his heart a different direction in life and just pops us in. And that's a wonderful thing. That's actually a biblical thing. As Paul would say, uh, I planted and Apollos watered. But God would give the increase. And so really where we're at right now, um, it's, it's interesting, and it's all going to be part of the sermon today. Um, we're at just a new season in what God's doing in Polina. And where Travis and In Faith Ministry and his brothers that I've never met, I, I don't even know their names. I want to say a George, but I don't think that there was a George with one of them. <laughs> Must have been his nickname. Um, that, uh, that they planted and have planted for years here. And that's a wonderful, necessary thing. And then the Lord has brought us in, and we're going to do some planting, some watering, but God is going to give the increase, we believe. And so with that, what our vision is coming into this is not so much to pick up and continue on necessarily what Travis had been doing, but essentially start a fresh work um, with like essentially a church plant with the vision and the philosophy of ministry that we have at Calvary and Prineville. Um, maybe not much will be different. Maybe some will be a little bit different. But essentially, we just want to make disciples and followers of Jesus and to do that the best way we know how through the ministry training we've been given to teach the word and to make disciples who will multiply even here in, in Polina. So um, if you have the form with you, the, the music sheet, the front of it uh, shares our vision. This is our vision of, as a church. And our elders in Prineville spent a lot of time just searching what God's heart is for the church when you read the New Testament. And if we can kind of boil down concentrated form what he desires a church to be doing, what the vision and the purpose of a church would be, um, we wrote this statement out. Our vision from Primeville, so this is the Primeville Church, is that we exist to make disciples in our city and of all nations who are sent out to proclaim and embody the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. And so we exist, our purpose in Primeville is to make followers of Jesus who multiply, who make followers of Jesus. And we'll do that locally in Primeville, We'll do that regionally. Um, here we are in Polina today, and so that's our vision in Polina. Um, Mitchell, wherever we might go, Seneca, John Day, we want to make followers of Jesus. But not only locally and regionally, God has given our church a deep desire to see the nations know Jesus. And God has done incredible work in the last five years through our church. And this has nothing to do with me. He's just graciously given our church an open door to be traveling to a part of the world that's never heard about Jesus before. And that's the nation of Nepal. And we go every year and we trek high up in the Himalaya mountains and we reach people who've never heard about Jesus. They don't know what a cross is. 
And God is going before us, and he's giving these Buddhists and Hindus dreams and visions that their way is not the way, but that they need to follow and worship Jesus. And so through our organization, we've had people have dreams about Jesus and that about people, foreigners coming to tell them about who Jesus is so that they can be forgiven of their sins and know their creator. So God has opened up a door for us, tiny little church in Prineville, and by God's grace, we've been actually known on some pretty big levels for what God's doing to reach the globe with the gospel of Jesus. It's nothing to do with me, nothing to do with any person. It's his work of the Holy Spirit in our church. And as tiny as we are, Polina, it's, it's not even, you know, there's no difference in the size of the globe. Prineville and Polina were practically the same thing. And I believe that God wants to use Polina in that same way to reach people, even in this county and out in these ranches and these fields who don't know the gospel. They could not articulate the gospel. God wants to use us for that. Uh, and he wants us to not only proclaim the gospel, but as our vision says, he wants us to embody and live out the gospel for his glory. And so essentially, it's been said that a vision statement or a purpose statement really justifies why we're here. It, it's, you know, what excuse do we have to be even a church in Prineville or a church in Polina? Well, the Bible gives us our reason as a church. Um, and then with a vision statement, we've created a mission statement. A mission statement essentially says, how? How are you going to accomplish your vision? And so we look at the New Testament, and we look especially at the book of Acts, and we watch the early church and how they began to fulfill this vision of God. And our statement reads as this. It says, as redeemed followers of Jesus Christ, the members of Calvary Chapel Prineville regularly gather under the authority of the Christ-centered word and in the power of the Holy Spirit in order to purposefully and joyfully Love God and each other while boldly evangelizing the world as the truth of the gospel defines who we are and how we live. And so our mission statement, it kind of breaks it down that we will regularly gather. And so, you know, first and third Sunday of a month, that was regular. That was, that was as regular as we could get for a while. And now the Lord is stirring in us even more regular, you know, and and that might look different in different seasons, in the winter time, or in, but we want to just be biblical about how regular can we be together. When you read the book of Acts, it's actually daily. You know, wow, okay, Rory's getting weird. You know, um, but when you read the book of Acts, they, not necessarily coming into the building, but living life with one another, being the church together, getting together, gathering together, and while we we're together, we would come to the Bible, we would come to the Word of God and let it be our authority. We would let the Holy Spirit give us power to love God and love each other and share the world, uh, share the gospel with the world. And so, part of our vision as a church in Prineville that will, in a way, blend into what we believe God wants us to do here in Polina is regular gathering, regularly being with each other, being a family, not only gathering in the church, but being with one another through thick and thin, through good times and bad. It's a marriage of sorts, you know, um, and, uh, and, and to stir one another to follow Jesus, uh, to live a life that's glorifying for him, 
uh, to give towards one another's needs and help one another, to correct one another when we're wrong, whether theologically or whether morally we're drifting away from the Bible. We just gently just correct each other so that we walk that straight and narrow road that Jesus is. And so in Primeville, it kind of looks like this. You know, we gather on Sunday mornings. We gather at the church on Sunday or we gather in the park once a month on a Sunday morning. We have an outdoor park service. Uh, so we have a Sunday morning gathering. Uh, every other week, we gather for prayer on Sunday nights. Uh, currently, we call it the Pulse, and it's our corporate prayer meeting. Uh, we have home groups throughout the week, different nights where people gather together, they break bread, they discuss Sunday's sermon with uh, some notes and some discussion questions. And then we also have men and women's groups that are called core groups, where uh, men get together all throughout the week. It's morning or it's evening, same with the women, morning, evening, and we just encourage one another, how are we doing, how are you doing, how can we be praying for you, how's your walk with Jesus going? And then, um, and then we also have, currently, we have a women's Bible study happening on Wednesday nights. We have youth group happening, and we have missions trips, all sorts of wonderful things. And it's not going to look the same as it does in Primeville. We want to be led by the Spirit as to how this culture, what can we do in this culture to gather and to just be a New Testament church. And we're going to be led, and, and we're going to adjust as we can adjust. And so... Um, so part of that is, like, currently, uh, we have a 10 o'clock service um, for our church, and we're currently, we just bought the Episcopal building in Primeville, and so we closed on it January 31st, we renovated it the book of, or the book, the month of February, <laughs> we had one month of just really intense renovation, and it was a wonderful time for our church. And, uh, and yet we share a little chapel with the Episcopals right now, but by this month they'll be out. So we do a 10 o'clock service to kind of accommodate sharing space with them, but that may shift in our time frame. Uh, we don't really know what the next month will look like, but currently our mornings are pretty full as a Primeville church, and yet there are so many people that want to be a part of serving your community and loving you and helping you and coming alongside of you that we're probably going to have, you know, we'll do something like, as um, Audrey said, do either a, a late afternoon or an evening service. And, and we'd love to hear for, from you because we want to make it work for you. You know, we don't want to take away your dinner time or something like that. Um, but we'll all kind of have to adjust a little bit. It's going to be a big adjustment for us and our families. And I'm sure it's going to be an adjustment for you all as well. Uh, but we're looking at right now, um, like a Sunday evening service. And that may be, and think about it during today's just quick Bible study, that may be late afternoon so that we can meet and worship and be with one another and then get you home in time for dinner. Uh, and, or maybe it'll be after dinner. What, what would work best for the current culture? But also I want you to ask and pray, what would work best for the people around this area that need to know Jesus? And how could we get them? To come and be a part. And so be thinking about that as well. And so uh, that's probably one of the uh, main things that I would share. And we'll have a little time afterwards to maybe talk a little more. But I just wanted to speak and encourage you from the Bible, from the Word of God. Um, <clears throat> one thing about Calvary Chapel, I don't know if many of you know, Calvary Chapel was started in the 70s by a pastor named Chuck Smith down in the uh, Orange County area, Huntington Beach. 
and uh, he just started preaching the gospel to uh, hippies and surfers. And hippies and surfers started getting saved like crazy. And they started coming into the church um, in flip-flops and in their swimsuits and getting sand on the carpet. But a revival started happening in Calvary Chapel. And one of the things that led to that revival was just the faithful teaching of the word of God and the preaching of the gospel from it. And the Holy Spirit did an amazing work that now there are thousands of Calvary chapels across the globe. We're one of them. Um, and yet, as I say that, don't hear me waving a Calvary Chapel banner. Um, we're not about planting Calvary chapels. And I, mean, I don't care if you ever like think of the name Calvary Chapel. Really what we're about is following Jesus and making Jesus known. And we do have a sweet, rich heritage at Calvary, though, of being in the Word. And something that I'll give to you guys as you leave today is um, it's just, I printed it out, and it is our statement of faith as a church from Primeville, uh, what we believe about the essential doctrines of the Christian faith, and then also in here are what we call theological distinctives, and what that is, is it's um, there are subjects in the Bible that Christians who love Jesus and the Bible is their authority um, they might disagree on certain things. These are non-essentials. These are gray areas. And they are things that maybe the Baptists do or the Four Squares do that we would do different, but we still love them and we think that they love Jesus. But if you come to a Calvary Chapel, you're, you're going to be here. You're going to hear it taught more in this way. But we do it humbly and with an understanding that there are people that love Jesus that might disagree. And, you know, we love them. God be with them. We hope that God's using them in a powerful way in their area. So we have our statement of faith in here as well as our values. What do we value? And so much of this will be transferred with us as we start this new season um, with you and as a church in Polite. So we'll make sure to get those to you before uh, you all leave today. So if you're there in Matthew chapter 14, we're doing this short section and I will uh, give you just what I believe is an exhortation and an encouragement and a comfort from the Lord today in this section. Can I pray for us as we get into the word now? Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the church. Thank you that it is not a building. We could meet in a hay shed or at a school or out in the open air. The church are your people. And we thank you for the Bedorthas, Lord, for Dick and Audrey. And we know that they probably have much to share with us with their wisdom and, and age, Lord. We thank you for uh, the Rossies, Lord, the family um, that uh, extended all the way to Powell Butte and, and how you brought them up from California for even such a time as this, Lord. And forgive me, Gary, as I don't know your last name. I'm thinking of you and your wife here this morning as well. Um, for that, for this family, Lord, thank you for um, for Lonnie and Peggy and the McGeehees, Lord, and, uh, and just the people who are a part of this church um, in the in the last previous season. And we just pray that they would be encouraged by today, by your word, and also every one of us who are going through storms and trials of life, that we would be encouraged as well. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, before we get into this true story of Jesus walking on the water and calming the sea, 
We want to remember the purpose of the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The purpose of the Bible is not for us to find ourselves in the text and then have that shape who we are. Um, rather, we want to see who Jesus is in the Bible. We want to see, even in the Old Testament to the New, where is Jesus? Who is he? And seeing who Jesus is, we let that shape who we are as people. And so as we look at this story, I really ask you to have glasses on, lenses on, to see Jesus as so big and awesome, and to see the disciples in their struggle as going through a struggle, but a hero came along. And, And that shaped their life that would change them as people. And so the Gospel of Matthew desires to show that Jesus is the king of the Jews, that he's the creator of the world, that he's the savior of the world. And it's in this story that we'll see Jesus as so mighty and so powerful. And that'll shape who we are as as people and who the disciples were as people. Now, from Matthew chapter 1 all the way up to chapter 14, we we see Jesus come. He's born in Bethlehem, has a great Christmas story for us. We see Jesus thrust out into the wilderness and being tempted and yet coming out victorious. We see him go down in chapter 4 into Galilee and begin to minister in Capernaum is a fulfillment of a prophecy that the people who dwelt in darkness would see a great light. We see Jesus do miracles and heal lepers and heal blind and lame and deaf people and epileptics. He casts out demons. He does so many miracles, so many wonderful things. All the way up to one of the most recent stories before our story today, he feeds 5,000 men, plus probably another 5,000 women and kids and, and all of that, with with the mir- miraculous multiplication of the loaves and the fishes. You all know that story, I'm sure. And so it's after this wonderful lesson comes another lesson. So Jesus feeds, and he's been so faithful, and he's been so wonderful, and yet even after we've seen Jesus move in such wonderful, powerful ways, we can begin to doubt, and we can begin to struggle. And we see that that's something these disciples did. And so if you'll go with me, uh, and I'm going to set a little timer on my watch so I can be very sensitive to um, all y'all. And I'm going to set it for 20 minutes. If you all can bear with me. That's, if people know me, that's, that's a good trimming down of what I'm able to do. Right? Okay. So here we have, uh, they move along from the feeding of the 5,000, and in verse 22, immediately... Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. The word immediately is used here, and it's really similar to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is very fast-paced. The word immediately is used all the time in the Gospel of Mark. And it's kind of an interesting thing that there was a time of ministry feeding 5,000 men, probably 10,000 people, 15,000 people, and then... Boom, get in the boat and get going, guys. Get, move along, move along. And as we begin to look at this story today, and we're going to see Jesus for who he is, I feel like there, there is something of application for us today. Because for me and for you, there was a bit of an immediately this week, wasn't there? 
when, when we talked to Travis, and Travis kind of shared his heart, and Travis shared his heart with me, and then it was kind of like, God is, God is pulling us out. This is what God is doing, and, and it's immediate. And for me, I, was, um, I had a planned anniversary getaway with my wife to Boise, and I'm teaching here in Polina, and that's a lot of driving, that's a lot of preparing, it's a lot of songs that maybe you might know, or maybe you can learn and appreciate, and, and there's a lot of, I was like, whoa, this is all happening suddenly, and probably every single one of us felt that way. And as Jesus immediately put the boys in the boat and sent them on their way, there was an insinuation, there was a hint of something, and perhaps he actually said it, and that was go to the other side, okay? Um, this is at the Sea of Galilee. I've been to Israel, uh, is it four times or five times? I don't even remember, but I've been to Israel many times. I've gone on tours, I've helped preach at tours and teach tours, and I hope to take the Central Oregon tour soon as well. But when you go to the Sea of Galilee, it's not like the Pacific Ocean. It's like a big lake. And if you've been to Klamath Falls, it reminds me of Klamath Lake, like a really big lake. Uh, but it takes a little while to drive around. It takes a while to sail across. I've been on a boat across it a number of times. I've swam in it. Pretty exciting. Until you remember that there's demonic pigs down at the bottom of that. You've got to get them out of there as fast as you can. Um, but Jesus' word was, go to the other side. Here's what it was not. Jesus didn't say, hey, um, you guys are going to go halfway across and you're going to drown in a tragic boat accident, you know? Um, you're going to be swamped by a boat, you know? That wasn't by a, by a storm. That wasn't what Jesus said. Jesus said, guys, there's a goal. There's an end here, and you can see it. You can see the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Just go over there, okay? And so he pushes them off, or I don't know how it exactly happened. Started the mercury for them and revved it up and said, go on, boys, you know? And then, after he sent them out, it says that he sent the multitudes away. There's context behind this. The multitudes wanted to set him up as king. Um, John's gospel says they wanted to force him to be a king and to take over the Roman Empire. And, and Jesus said, this, this is not the right time. I've come for a different purpose, to die for the sins of the world. And so he uh, sent them away. Go away, guys. This idea that you've got to crown me as king, not now. It's not time. And as he sent them away... It says, verse 23, and when he'd sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. The wonderful thing about Jesus' example for us is he would get away by himself to pray. And I hope that's a practice that you cultivate in your life. If the Son of God, Jesus Christ, knew that he needed to go pray, probably we need to a bit more. Um, and so we can learn from this from him. And as he went up on the mountain, he was praying. An amount of time went by. And so they had puttered out to sea, you know. Um, it had become evening time. So um, maybe the sun was starting to set. Maybe it was just cooling down. But from evening time, he was alone there. So the last of the multitude had walked off to the village of Capernaum or Bethsaida nearby. And, uh, and he was by himself with the Father. And it says in verse 24, but the boat. <laughs> it's peaceful up on the mountain where Jesus is. You can hear the wonderful melody and the birds chirping. And 
sun's starting to go down, and then the boat. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea. This middle of the sea is literally translated, it was many furlongs away from land. It was a considerable distance from land. And when you go to the Sea of Galilee, when you're in the middle, you really do feel like, okay, there's no way I'm swimming to shore. And when you read history, even Josephus' accounts in the War of the Jews, great battles would take place on the Sea of Galilee and men would drown because they weren't able to swim to shore. And so the disciples were many furlongs away from land. They were in the middle of the sea and they were tossed by the waves. Feel free to use your imagination here. Feel free to think of what it looks to toss something around or if you're just in your bathtub and you're splashing around. I don't fit in one, in case you're wondering. Um, but you know, think of your, your pool that you set up for your kids in the summertime and when things are getting tossed around and, and uh, aired up, beach toys and whatnot, uh, the boat was like a little toy there in the middle of this sea, the Sea of Galilee. It was being tossed by the waves for the wind was contrary. The language that's used here for being tossed by the waves is the word torture. The boat was being tortured. Now, if you've been in the, in the pool with your kids, and they're splashing, you know, they're throwing the beach ball against your head, you've experienced this form of torture before. If you've been out at sea, you know the torture. Uh, that, that these guys were really in agony with the state of their current situation. Uh, I have a friend named Luke Frechette who is out of Newport. He pastors South Beach Church in Newport, just taught our men's muster. And I remember last fall, or when was that? It was maybe early January. A new friend of his who'd just gotten saved and just started walking with Jesus, who was uh, who worked on the fishing boats in Newport, got on a boat of a stranger to help with a current um, fishing project. And the guy, it was later found out as they were out at sea that he'd been um, uh, not properly trained, he didn't have the right licenses, things like that. There may have even been some substance issues going on. And my, the friend of my friend who was very experienced on boats tried to take over the boat and say, man, we gotta get back, this is a dangerous spot when you're going back into Newport and through the harbor. And long story short, they ended up getting stuck in the dangerous spot of the ocean before you come into the harbor. The Coast Guard was called. My friend Luke was um, posting videos and prayer reports because they could see the ship. And the tragic tale is that the, the ship ended up sinking there and everybody on the boat was lost. And so uh, so recently a friend of a friend perished at sea and, um, and Luke was at a place where Jesus was, where he was looking out at the sea and watching his friend in desperate circumstance. And that's where Jesus finds himself here. He's looking out at the sea while he's praying. Uh, he sees his, his, his disciples tossed by the waves. Um, it's, uh, let's see here, Mark's gospel in chapter 6 tells the story that Jesus saw them straining or tortured at rowing. They were, their arms were falling off. They were tortured at rowing as the boat was tortured by the boisterous sea. It was exhausting, but it says that Jesus saw them. And so in the midst of this week, and immediately you all are thrust into, where's Travis? What's going to happen to this church? What's going to happen to the people I love that want to follow God? Who are these wackos from Prineville? What's going on? 
you're thrust into this situation. And I would just say, the word from Jesus is, there's going to be another side. We've got a goal. There's a New Testament vision of what a church is to be. And this is all part of my plan to get you there. It's not going to be all smooth sailing. In the words of Garth Brooks, there's bound to be rough waters, right? Um, there's bound to be. We're just... I, okay, anyways, sorry. We, we, we are promised trials, but we're promised that Jesus will never leave us in the midst of the trials. And so I want to encourage you all, in this time, remember Jesus said, we've got a goal. We've got a goal. And... There might be times where it seems torturous to you. New schedule, new preacher, new people coming to love on you. And I would just say, Jesus knows. Jesus knows. Jesus cares. I've really been praying for you guys. Because as much as we were kind of thrust into a new wonderful season that we've been fasting and praying for and we're excited about, we understand that change is hard. Change is difficult. And we would just say, we're praying for you. And we know that Jesus knows. And he cares. And he sees you. Maybe in your conversations and streaming and, and, and your arms are about to fall off. Just, just trust him. Trust him. It says that in the fourth watch of the night, verse 25, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. So you'll remember Jesus fed the 5,000, put the boys in the boat, sent them off to sea, went up on the mountain, was praying, evening came and now all of a sudden we're at the fourth watch of the night which is about 3 a.m. 3 in the morning that's a long time to be straining and being tortured by the sea I don't even know I can't comprehend I imagine that the disciples weren't having a great time out there on the boat you know they weren't singing wind beneath my wings you know as the as they were being hit by the gale the white squall you know um they were struggling. They were being tortured. And it was a long time. And they thought, like many other stories, I imagine they thought they were all going to die. They were all going to drown. That this was the purpose that Jesus put them on the boat, you know. But Jesus had seen them, and Jesus cares. And verse 25, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Now, we've all heard this story, and I just encourage you, don't let your familiarity with it let you grow numb to it. Because I personally don't know anybody that's ever walked on water. I don't know about you all, but this is a pretty fantastic thing. I've tried. My grandpa has a pool, and I grew up trying to walk on that water. And every time, I got sinuses full of chlorinated water, right? I don't know about you. I've seen guys trusting the Lord, trying to walk on water, just testing to see if the Lord could do it. I chuckled at them. I'm not going to lie to you. And they went in the water every time. This is amazing. In fact, our culture uses this as a barometer reading to see if a man is truly an incredible man. Well, that Jim, he sure is fantastic. He can almost walk on water. And I'm guessing you mean, by almost, you mean he cannot walk on water. Because he can't, okay? On his best day, he's going down, okay? But here's Jesus, the hero of heaven, the hero of the story, the hero who is praying as he's watching us. In fact, I missed it. But Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says that Jesus is our faithful high priest, and he ever lives to make intercession for us. Today, he's at the right hand of the Father, and he's praying for each of you by name, and myself included. He's praying for the people of Palina who love him. 
He has great plans for us to go to the other side. He's interceding for us. He knows, he sees, he cares, and he's going to be with you. He's coming, and he's walking on the sea. Verse 26, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, Mark's gospel says, and when he would have passed them by. So from their perspective, they're like, <laughs> you know. I don't know about you guys, but 3 a.m. is about that moment that I start getting spooked out by things, okay? When I grew up farming and I would bale hay at night as a high schooler, I'd be out in New Pine Creek, which is kind of the Polina of the Lakeview area, and I'd be out in a, in a marshy pasture baling hay, and I'm keeping my eye on that marsh. And I'm keeping my eye on that forest. Rumors of Bigfoot, things that I'd seen in movies in my childhood, it's coming at me. 3 a.m., here it comes. No doubt the disciples, you know, they're out there straining and tortured, they're exhausted and tired, and here's a dude walking on the water. Never seen that before. Who could it be? Not Jesus, he's back, you know, at the Krusty Krab, you know, having a burger. No, it is Jesus. But that's not who they think. They were troubled. And, and they say, it is a ghost. A ghost. In the Greek, it's the word phantasma. It's a phantom or a ghoul. They're terrified at what they think they've seen. Here's guys that cast demons out for a living, and they're terrified by a ghost walking on water. It turns out it's Jesus. The same Jesus of Job, chapter 9, verse 8, who says, He alone spreads out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. And here he is, treading water on the waves of the sea. They were troubled, verse 24 to 6. It is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. Forget fear. Be of good cheer. My wife, Lindsay, who you met, was an Oregon State University cheerleader. Um, we grew up together, but when we started dating, she was uh, cheering at the OSU Beaver games. And that's something you run for, and you marry her as fast as you can. And I, and, uh, and I just remember watching her cheer and just, you know, just the biggest smile. They pay you to do it, you know, in scholarship money. And, uh, and you know, it's just always been my example for cheer. Just, woo, shout it out. Put a smile on your face. And the disciples who were terrified, Gina goes, hey, guys, let that be turned into joy. Let that be turned into cheer. And I encourage you all, all of us, are a little bit, what's God going to do in Paulina? <laughs> what's it going to mean for my life, my schedule? You guys are calling me to be a New Testament disciple. It's going to be a little bit different. <laughs> hey, just, just let, that cheer, let that fear be turned to cheer, okay? And um, Jesus said, it is I. Do not be afraid. And it's interesting because we get a story here that Mark's gospel leaves out. And if you know this history, um, it's Peter dictated the gospel of Mark to Mark. So Peter's telling Mark's story, and he leaves out something that Matthew has to put in there. Okay? And what does Matthew say? Oh, Peter, you're not getting away without this story. I'm throwing it in. You guys know it, right? Peter answers him and says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to you on the water. What a great step of faith. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. That is incredible. Never done it. Again, I have not done it. I'm guessing you have not done it. But Peter had such great faith in who the Lord was. 
it's been said, I think it was Oswald Chambers said, God's past faithfulness demands our present trust. You've been so faithful. You know what? Presently, I'm going to get out. I'm going to walk on the water to you, Jesus. And maybe that's a word for you today. What is God doing here in Polina? Whether you're from Primeville or whether you're here in Polina, just trust the Lord. Hop out on the water. See what he will do. But, as often happens in verse 30, when he saw that the wind was boisterous, which just means violent, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. It's been said that's one of the most simple, basic, awesome prayers to quote in the Bible. You don't know what to say, you don't know what to pray, just cry out for the Lord to save you. You're saying that now, I know, you're like, boy, there's an order guy. Is that 20 minutes up? Lord, save me. Okay. Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? Why do you doubt? First of all, I show up walking on water. You know, first of all, you know, but can you not even tread water for a few minutes? You're terrified that you can't. Man, I'm right here. I'm right here. Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those who were with him in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. You might have noticed in our vision statement, kind of the, the cherry on top, or the main purpose of our vision as a church, is that God would be glorified. And really, that is the purpose of the New Testament church, that is the purpose of Jesus being Messiah and Savior of the world and rescuing us in all of our troubles, is that he would be glorified. And here he is. It's a wonderful conclusion to the story. There on the boat, the wind ceased. In other stories where the wind stopped and Jesus rescued them and walked on water, you know what they said? They said, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And here's a similar worship towards Jesus. Who is this guy? He's the son of God. He's God. The Jews knew that that meant he's God. And so today, I just want to encourage you to trust him. He's our high priest. He sees you wherever you're at in all of your life circumstances. You're going through something. You're going through something. All the different circumstances here, we're all going through trials. We're all being tortured and tormented by stuff that this life is throwing at us. He knows. He cares. He's watching. Put your trust in him. Don't fear him. Don't think he's a ghost when he shows up in a way that you don't expect. Trust the Lord. Worship the Lord. We're going to the other side. Okay? We're going to the other side. And we will be with him forever. And if you're a lover of Jesus here today, and you've had your sins washed by the blood of Jesus, you've been forgiven of your sins, all of us together will be part of that multitude in heaven that is worshiping him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Amen.